1: Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have the great pleasure of interviewing Dr. Beal. Dr. Beal, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Good to be here. It's a, it's a joy to have you, sir. Can uh, can you just tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and what uh, ministry or writing projects you're working on?
0: Well, um, that's a big question. I'll just uh, answer selectively. You know, I started teaching uh, at Grove City College in 1980, and I was there four years. And after that, I spent uh, about uh, 16 years at Gordon Conwell Theological Seminary just on the North Shore of Boston teaching in the New Testament Department. And uh, after that, we... Uh, uh, i the Graduate School at Wheat College, again in the New Testament, 10 years, and now I'm in my 10th year, finishing the 10th year at Westminster Theological Seminary in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And uh, so I'm married, and uh, three children, uh, one daughter's a nurse, the other's a uh, photographer, and the other's a journalist. He, he's a son, so two daughters and a son, and a wife, a daughter. That's her name. We've we've been married 41 years, so um, that's sort of a really brief sketch. I've enjoyed uh, teaching during those years, and uh, have uh, also been enjoyed writing often much of what I teach uh, ends up uh, being what I write so those who are very connected
1: wonderful uh, that's great that's great to learn a little bit more about you sir uh, can you just tell us what what uh, current projects you're working on
0: well presently um, I've just finished um, with, with Ben glad this book uh, which I think is the reason for this interview the, the story we told the University press and we can talk more about that since as I understand the interview is the uh, that book. Yes, sir. Um, just around the time of the publication of this book, just a few months earlier in November of last year, I published a book called "Redemptive Reversals" and the ironic overturning of the world's wisdom. And that—that's that, a book about uh, um, uh, the ironies. Uh, that, that God has woven into the Bible and how they're crucial for Chris faith. Um, uh, just a few months earlier, I published a commentary on Colossians and Philemon in the uh, Baker exegetical commentary series on the New Testament. And uh, so um, so quite busy. Uh, nice to have all those books come to fruition and to see the light of day. Uh, now I'm working on a commentary on the pastoral epistles and the Zondervan exegetical. Commentary series. Also doing a a, a book uh, that's a sequel to New Testament Biblical Theology that that will again be with uh, Baker Publishers. Then I'm participating as an editor with Ben Glad and Andy Naselli and Don Carson on a dictionary of the New Testament use of the Old Testament that will probably come out in two to three years and that is to be a companion volume to the volume that Don Carson and I edited, which was commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament. So um, we'll we'll deal with uh, essays on typology and allegory, uh, the interpretative method of the New Testament authors, the interpretative method of the Old Testament authors. Now that relates to the New Testament authors, and um, we'll be dealing with, with the number, um, things like that. So uh, that's a project that's ongoing with many contributors. Other, otherwise, uh, I continue, continue to work on various essays. For example, I just published uh, a long essay on finding Christ in the Old Testament in the journal of the Theological Society, which really is about how do, how do you uh, legitimately find Christ in the Old Testament? A relational problem that's been, been debated. Uh, also working on an essay on allegor- what's the difference between allegory and typology. That's been also a uh, fun article. An article that was, took a lot of uh, man hours and labor was an essay, a very long essay, uh, about 65 pages on the last 35 years of research on the new testament uh, on John use of the old testament revelation so i better stop there i keep myself busy
1: <laughs> <laughs> well that's wonderful uh the lord uh, keeps giving you so many opportunities to write and publish and and we're the better for it, so thank you, sir, for your work. As you mentioned, we are going to talk about your book, so let me ask you about it, that you wrote with Dr. Glad, uh, the story retold, a biblical uh, introduction to the New Testament. Uh, can you tell us why you two wrote this, and how you hope it'll be received?
0: Yeah, the idea originated with Ben Glad. Ben Glad was a doctoral student of mine at Wheaton. He, he produced a wonderful dissertation that was published. It was on the use of the Old Testament of 1 Corinthians, especially with respect to the idea of mystery, how that comes from the Old Testament. And he was teaching as an adjunct there, and he was teaching New Testament uh, survey, and he just couldn't find a good textbook. And so he began to write his lectures in the way he thought textbooks should lay them out, and uh, he, as he was doing that, did it, he asked me to collaborate with him on producing uh, those lectures that he had written into a book. And so we did that. Uh, it's been a fun project. I'm, I'm glad we did it. We've had a lot of interest in it so far, and we've been very encouraged by that.
1: Well, I, I was, uh, that's awesome. I, I was uh, greatly helped by reading it. I, I think that it's uh, a very, very helpful book, so thank you guys for your work. Um, what, what sets your uh, introduction to the New Testament apart from other introductions to the New Testament?
0: Well, I guess the main way to uh, summarize the difference is that other New Testament introductions, uh, and we can put it this way, if you look at New Testament introductions, or whether college or seminary, they fall into two categories. One that emphasizes the history behind the text or discussion, authorship, dating, and audience. In the New Testament introductions we'll explore the content of the New Testament itself. So those tend to be more by more conservative authors, the others tend to be by less conservative authors. But few New Testament introductions weave the Old Testament into their discussion and fewer still rely you know, on the grand narrative of the Old Testament and how it relates to the new. And so what we try to do, uh we, we believe the New Testament wasn't written in a vacuum, it stands in continuity with the Old Testament and and, and I think would say it this way Israel's story, is the church's story. You cannot understand the new without the old. So we explore each New Testament book uh, and, and we go through canonically Matthew, Mark, etc. And we explore each book in the light of the broad history of redemption, emphasizing the biblical theological themes of each New Testament book. And then we try to encourage uh, readers, students, etc., pastors to read the New Testament like the Old—not not as a new story, but as a story retold. Yeah, that, that, by the way, we 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 we, we do talk about uh, such introductory questions as authorship dating and audience, but we do that at the front and we summarize it very much. Whereas
1: some New Testament introductions, that's all you get for. Each Book, for the most part Yeah, that, that, that's true That's true uh, I love how you just talked about the, uh, the the Old Testament and the New Testament And I think this question will draw this out um, How does Genesis 1-3 through 3 form As you say on page 1 The core of the biblical story And the basic elements of the script Of, of scripture
0: Yes, I like this out We summarize it in, in our book. Story retold. Uh, I lay this out in in, in detail in my New Testament Biblical uh, Theology, in one of the the, the very first chapters. In fact, it's the first chapter after the introduction. And what I what I contend there is that Adam, Genesis 1:28, was commissioned to be a king and to rule over the earth. We see in Genesis 2 that the way that's to be carried out is to be not only a king but a king priest in the Temple of Eden, we contend and I've contended that Eden was the first sanctuary. Adam was to be a faithful king priest in that sanctuary. I've written a book to try to demonstrate that Eden was a sanctuary as uh, it's called uh, the uh, Temple and the Church's Mission. So I try to demonstrate that fully there. But at any rate, Adam was to be a king priest and what that meant is uh, no uncleanness could come into the temple and so when the, the serpent came into the garden, into the sanctuary, Adam was a faithful priest. should have Slain uh, should have pro- prophetically proclaimed uh, that the serpent was evil and uh, executed the serpent or depended on God to execute the serpent. If, if that would have happened, then there would have been uh, a glorification of uh, Adam's kingdom, of uh, the temple, and of Adam himself. They would have reflected uh, the glory of God. I think that's what Genesis 1.28 says at the end it says, and filled the earth. Now, filled it with what? Well, with, uh, you know, it's the uh, uh, increase and multiply. Fill the earth with image bearers. And what are image bearers? They are those who reflect the image of God. That's what this progeny would be. So the whole earth would be filled with God's glory. That means the the, uh, the whole would be glorified, be a glorified temple. There would be no evil. Uh, there would be complete rest. And uh, what, what that means is that if then he would have blessings, more than he had in the garden. Those escalated blessings would have been an incorruptible kingdom temple. And what that entails is a new heavens and earth that would not pass away. What happens is, of course, Adam fails in being a faithful king and a faithful priest. He fails to judge the evil servant. So the whole rest of Scripture flows out of that. Uh, Scripture begins to talk about someone who would come. It begins in Genesis 3:15. The seed of the woman will come, and while his heel would be bruised, but the serpent, uh, he himself would crush the serpent's head. And the whole rest of Scripture flows out of that. brief story there in Genesis
1: one to three. That's wonderfully, wonderfully well said. How does a how does a solid understanding of the Old Testament help Christians to read the New Testament better? Uh, yeah,
0: yeah. Well, thank you. Uh, well, if uh, for anyone who's read the New Testament, they find that they come across. And uh, if you look at the margins of your Bible, you will often see in the New Testament, in your margins, if you have a Bible with margins, hopefully people do, those are the best Bibles, there will be Old Testament references in the margins that will tell you that uh, even though you may not have a quotation, there are intended allusions to the Old Testament. So in order to understand the New Testament, for example, if you're reading through Matthew and you find a quotation of Genesis 15, where it says that Joseph took his family along with Jesus into Egypt to fulfill what spoke through the prophet out of Egypt if I called my son. Well, you got to go back to that quotation in the Old Testament. You have to find it first. And your margin will tell you from Hosea. Because Jesus sums up Israel in himself, so what's true about Israel is true about Egypt. <laughs> Jesus as is Israel will go in and come out of Egypt again. This is Israel as old, of old did, but this time he will succeed, where Israel failed. So that would be a good example. To understand that verse, you gotta go through that process. And it really deepens our understanding, for example, of what Matthew said, and so also in the other quotations in
1: allusions. So you've got to know the old to understand the new. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's really, really, really well said. Well, I, I know that you've done a lot of work in the book of Revelation. You know, a lot of Christians, they struggle uh, on whether even to read that particular book of the Bible, Revelation. What, what advice do you have for reading Revelation? Well,
0: uh, it's a very tough book. There's no doubt about that. I, I do think it is a book that is intended to, Christ in the New. So there's no time for John to have quotations. There's not enough space Because he wants to put more of them there. That means to go uh, and, and, and make his, his, his references briefer. And so to understand about the Revelation, you've got to, again, to understand the That's the only one. So, for example, if uh, one was to... I believe they represent demonic poems. Now, I'm not going to go into detail why I believe that. There's a lot of people who take all these things straightforwardly, if you will. That is, as close as they can to correspond with physical reality. But I think when you go back to the Old Testament, you see these things pretty uh symbolically. But furthermore, Revelation 1 uh, is the programmatic verse. It gives the title of the book. It says, The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God showed to him what must come to pass quickly. And he sent and he signified it to his John. That word signify uh, in Greek is a very important word. Some translations smooth it over by saying, and he showed it, or he made it known, or he communicated it. But actually, the word, some translations will have signify, and that's the more specific meaning of the word. And that programmatic verse is telling us to expect a symbolic vision. should take revelation as much as possible literally unless you're is from the Old Testament. So, for example, in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation, where you find two witnesses, some believe those two witnesses are individuals. That, that it's Elijah and Moses, Elijah and Enoch, or Moses and Enoch, or Peter and Paul—they're revived and they come back, and that and they are supernatural. They have supernatural abilities because because fire comes from their mouth; uh, they're, they're, they're able to um, uh, cause it not to rain. So some think these are two individuals. Uh, once one really examines that vision, however, uh, recall these two witnesses are called two lampstands. And we've already had the lampstands defined for us in chapter 1 through 3. And what are they? There's seven lampstands. And and, and, and in verse 20, they're defined in chapter 1. These are the seven churches. So the lampstands are churches. They're not individuals. And so uh, the two witnesses are churches. But some would say, well, wait a minute. Why are there only two instead of seven? Maybe they are two individuals. And no you read the letters to the churches, there are only two churches that are without blame, Philadelphia and Smyrna. The others, to one degree or another, have significant problems. So the two witnesses are churches, they are the faithful remnant witnessing church. And, uh, and why lampstands? Well, that comes from Zechariah and ultimately back to Exodus 28. Uh, the uh, the lampstands are a crucial part of the temple. And they they. Stands. They are the church in their witnessing role. They are uh, part of God's temple, shining God's light out to the unbelieving world, dissipate the darkness of the world. That's their witnessing purpose. Well, that's a good example of how really we need to understand what some people
1: take literally. When you understand it symbolically, it really relates to the church, even now. And it's very important, practically. That's a, that's a brilliant answer. I, I love that. Um because I think that what people want to do is what we, we take a, a normal interpretation and then we superimpose that on the text, and as you just said so brilliantly, it causes all sorts of problems, and you're also not taking into account, as you said, the genre that's being written, so you're not really engaging in a faithful hermeneutic also.
0: When you say some people take a normal interpretation, what Revelation one one is saying is that the normal interpretation to take yep. is to expect symbols more than the literal. Yeah. That that for God for John, that's a normal
1: interpretation. <laughs> yeah, that that's what I mean. We're we're taking what the what the genre gives us and not just saying, Hey, this is yeah. what we, we need to say. That that's what you were saying so well. I, I wonder yeah. I wonder what advice you have for pastors and Bible Bible teachers just wanting to preach through Revelation.
0: Well, to take the advice that I've just mentioned. Number one, and then number two, before they preach or teach a Bible study, sit down and read the Book of Revelation a couple of times at one sitting. Sit down, read it through a couple of times, and then I would say, and this is to repeat myself, <laughs> but if you're going to have a hope of interpreting these visions, you have to go to the margins of your Bible, and you have to. See what Old Testament is alluded to in these visions, and you have to go back to the Old Testament to understand that. Now, if you want some commentaries that do that, that could help you along the way, I'm, I'm embarrassed. Say, but I'm going to go on and say it that I have a shorter commentary and a very long commentary in the book of Revelation that you can consult uh, both are published by Erickson's publishers and uh, one, one is um, called just the book of Revelation in the New International Greek Testament series that's very long, very long you know, my wife says when she reads the chapter that she, she reads some and it makes sense, and then she says all the rest is blah, 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 because <laughs> it's very technical. So, uh, what I've done as a result of my wife's encouragement and others, I've written a shorter commentary, reduced the big one in half, taken the Greek out for the most part, and but nevertheless, what I've kept is the very important Old Custom background. Now, also, I could recommend that. That's called a shorter commentary from the book of Revelation. I can recommend. Likewise, a commentary by Dennis Johnson, um, and that is called The Triumph of the Lamb. Dennis Johnson, The Triumph of the Lamb. And so those, those would be two commentaries that one can Start with to help them in this methodological procedure of helping the Old Testament interpret what John's doing there in in his book.
1: Well, I I will also recommend both of those. They're both excellent. And uh, on this podcast, we talk about books, so there's nothing wrong with promoting your own books on this podcast. So uh, I appreciate it. Actually, that that's really helpful. Uh, What What are some of the biggest influences on your understanding of biblical theology?
0: Well, let's see. We're really talking about people here. I would say I was influenced early on. Well, in my seminary education, I was very influenced in an independent study that I had reading the writings of St. Augustine, and especially uh, the writings of the latter part of his life, known as the anti Antipelagian writings. That influenced me very much toward what some would now call Reformed theology. Augustine didn't have a name for it, he just called it Pauline Theology, which is probably the best way to say it. After Augustine, John Calvin. And um, then I would say... Uh, more recently Herman Ritter boss as well as Hardis boss and Richard Gaffin those would be some that have influenced me uh, Abraham Kuyper and his principles of sacred theology has been very important in my understanding of biblical epistemology which is how do you know that you know the bible is the word of god how do you know that you know anything uh, that's a very good book by um, Abraham influences. I, I would say also, even more recently, John Piper's book, Desiring God, is a very, very important book influencing uh, um, my relationship with
1: God. That's wonderful, brother. It's uh, great to hear hear about what, what has influenced you on, on that subject. Um, how important is it that Christians have a, a good understanding of biblical theology?
0: Well, you know, what we have to do then is really understand what is biblical theology. Uh, I, I think, just to put it exceedingly briefly, biblical theology study a particular uh, passage in a book, you want to understand, well, how does that passage relate to the rest of the book? And then, how does that book relate to the overall scheme of, uh, of the Bible, the storyline of the Bible? Where does it fit in in time and in theme? How does it relate to the preceding books? How does it relate to the succeeding books? So you're, you're, you're trying to trace what we might call the organic development of God's supernatural revelation in his sacred record of the scriptures. So, uh, I think it's very important, that, therefore, to, to, for Christians to have a good understanding
1: of that. Yeah, that, that's a really, really helpful answer. Uh, where can people go to find out more about your work online or on, on social media or otherwise, sir? Yeah,
0: well, I don't have a website. Um little old-fashioned, I guess. Um, people can go to Amazon, put my name in, and see what I've written. They can go to the Westminster Theological Seminary website where they will find, not only only what I've published, but video lectures or audio lectures. Hey, you can just plug into Google and say G.K. Beale sermons and lectures. You'll find sermons by me. You'll find lectures at conferences. Well, those are some of the ways you can do it. Oh, that's
1: that's wonderful, sir. That's wonderful. Well, there, there's a lot that we haven't uh, covered in the course of this interview, Dr. Beale. Just as we wrap up, do you have any takeaways for our listeners? Well, um,
0: I've I, I, I tried to uh, say some of the important uh, things uh, in, this, in this interview. Yeah, I, I would just say that practically speaking, keeping in mind everything I've said in this interview,
1: that's a uh, that's a really helpful helpful word we, we do need to put it to memory and, and to uh, meditate on it I, I think that's an important thing to to land on well dr Beale I've, I very much appreciate the time that you've given to me today and and for your excellent work it's it is a, a, an encouragement to me and I know to so many people so on behalf of them and and also on behalf of myself thank you so much for all that you do for the kingdom of our Lord
0: okay thanks for the interview thank you sir